The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money for your belts, Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our lessons this morning follow the normal course of the lectionary. Rather than using the ones for Independence Day, which is considered a holy day in our tradition and has propers of its own, but it is not a feast of the Lord, that is, it's not directly about Jesus, and so it is not supposed to supersede the normal lessons for Sunday. Just the same, I think that the epistle lesson today has a relevance to us as Americans this day as we celebrate the birthday of our nation. I say that because its lesson, although not obvious, I believe will become clear as we move through this. Paul has been challenged in his uh, role as an apostle and his right to be uh, considered the, the authority of note within the Corinthian congregation. Corinth, as we know, has always been the problem child for Paul. He is always writing to deal with issues that have come up in that place. And today's epistle uh, has to do with Paul responding to a challenge to his apostleship. This challenge has come, apparently, from traveling, charismatic um, personalities that are creating within Corinth 
cults of personality. And frankly, some of them are falling into heresy. They have questioned Paul's authority and some of his teachings. And Paul feels the need to respond. But he does not respond um, in, by asserting his authority directly. He responds by proclaiming the power of God and the lordship of Christ. It starts out in a rather funny way. Paul is talking in the third person about somebody he knew 14 years ago that had this tremendous revelation, this tremendous spiritual experience. And yet, as one reads through the passage, one gets the sense that Paul's really talking about himself, that perhaps he's putting it in the third person so as not to proclaim too much um, something of his own experience, because that's not what he wants to do. Rather, he says, if powerful visions and profound religious experiences are what you're looking for in an apostle, well, I can certainly qualify. But, he says, but to get me, to keep me from getting too conceited or puffed up, as the Good News translation puts it, God sent a thorn in my flesh to afflict me and to basically keep him humble. Three times he beseeched God about this for healing. This was important because this was part of what those people who were challenging his leadership were, um, were pointing out about Paul. He has this affliction, and, and God hasn't even healed it yet. There's something wrong with his connection with God, obviously. It's kind of a physician heal thyself kind of argument. But what does Paul say? Beseeching God on three occasions to take it away from him, God responds that his power is perfected in weakness. This, of course, is the message of the cross right at the heart of our faith. Jesus hangs on the cross in total vulnerability, in total weakness, utterly powerless from a human or earthly standpoint, and yet it is through the cross that God's power to overcome even death itself is revealed. Out of that weakness, God shows his strength. And so Paul says, that is what I will proclaim. That is what I will show. This is the nature of apostleship because this is the way in which we preach the heart of our faith, that in human weakness, God's strength is perfected. So what does all that have to do with 
Independence Day that we celebrate as a nation today. When I was in eighth grade, the social studies curriculum for uh, eighth grade uh, was a study of American history. And in the textbook that we were given for use that year, there was a kind of opening introductory piece that was a reprint of an article in the Atlantic Magazine of March of 1959. It was by Arthur Schlesinger, who at the time was a noted historian and social commentator. And the subject of the essay was America's 10 Contributions to Civilization. And he enumerated a bunch of them, and I won't go through them all, uh, because you can easily look it up on the internet. I did. I used Google. I just put Arthur Schlesinger. I even misspelled Schlesinger. Uh, Ten contributions. And it just popped right up. It was nice to read it after all these years again. But a couple that I'd like to sort of give you an example of was uh, the idea of the melting pot that America is a place where people come and, and become integrated into a single uh, society. He did point out the notable exception to that, of course, being our African-American citizens, who we have struggled to fully incorporate into the life of our community over the years but acknowledge that there was recognition of that fact and attempts to rectify that situation. Another contribution is our tradition of voluntary and generous giving. I remember back when that tsunami went through out the Indian Ocean and killed a quarter of a million people and the outpouring of help that came largely from Americans. There were articles that took note of um, the contrast between the contributions that Americans made to that relief effort versus the European countries, which are all part of the same developed Western tradition. And then a third contribution is the idea of evolutionary change. Built in from the beginning to our Constitution was the ability to be able to amend it, to change it, and to change it little by little as we go along to meet the challenges of new situations. It would be presumptuous of me to dare to add an 11th contribution to that list, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because I think, well, I know what came to me uh, as I was reading through that epistle lesson today was the way in which our country historically has expressed a restraint of power. We have not been interested in world domination, which is, as we know, the history of humankind. Empires rise, 
They take over other weaker empires. They, uh, th those empires, in turn, are taken over by other empires, and so on and so forth. You can see this in the Old Testament and through the intertestamental literature as well. The Assyrians rise to power and take over the northern kingdom of Israel. The Babylonians conquer them, and they take over the southern kingdom of Israel. The Persians come and take over the Babylonians and uh, allow the uh, Judeans to return to their homeland. The Persians are conquered by the Greeks. The Greeks are conquered by the Romans. And so on and on it goes. And yet we sit in the richest and most powerful nation that the world has ever known. And we do not see that tendency to want to take advantage of that to take over the world. Rather than world domination, we have preferred a world inspiration. We have been content to hold up to the world a vision of freedom, equality, and democracy even when we haven't fully lived into that vision ourselves. But we hold it up. Yes, if our peace and security is threatened, we respond with power. But then when the struggle is over, it has been our tendency to then try to help rebuild and to reconcile. And so, America has a lot to be proud of. But I think what we need to remember is that at our heart, in our better selves, there has always been this tendency to meet life with a humility that allows us sober reflection and honest evaluation of where we need to keep improving in order to live more fully into the visions that were there at our founding. It is a way in which we live into those sentiments that were put to paper by Catherine Lee Bates, the writer of America the Beautiful, that as we come to God beseeching his help, we ask that um, he will mend our every flaw, that he will confirm our soul in self-control and our liberty in law. And so I'd like to invite us today as we celebrate this 4th of July to think about these things and to think about the ways in which we can live more fully into that humility as American people. A humility that allows us to create a more perfect union and to continue to be an example to the world. For it is in weakness that our true strength is shown. And by God's grace, we will be able to live in to that vision.
Amen.